0: I'd ask that you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at, Lord willing, Matthew chapter 5 as well as Psalm 1. chapter 5 verse 1 and seeing the multitudes he went up into a mountain and when he was set his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you portion of scripture that I just read is known as the Beatitudes and is, like many other portions of scripture, often misunderstood. This morning I am starting what I hope to be a sermon series on Jesus and the kingdom. One of the main points that I would like you to understand this morning is That what Jesus is teaching in the Beatitudes is not something that is brand new. In our study in the Beatitudes in the coming weeks, we will be looking at happy, blessed people whose happiness is based on an inner reality of what has been supernaturally done for them. We are looking at happy people who are blessed who know that one the kingdom of heaven is theirs they shall be comforted two they shall inherit the earth three and they shall be filled four we see those in the beginning verses of the beatitudes when we look at the rest of the beatitudes we can see that we are also looking at Happy people who have been blessed, who know that they who have obtained mercy will obtain even more mercy, and that they shall see God, and they shall be called the children of God, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven, as we see in verse 10. Will these ones who are elect of God ever be discouraged? Yes. Will these saints still sin and be defeated spiritually? Yes. But these people of God know that if they confess their sins, God is faithful and just to forgive their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And they also know that the Holy Spirit is changing them and that they are becoming more and more like Jesus. They are truly happy due to what Jesus has done for them. Like we see in the prayer that Jesus gave us, God is first. And he expects holiness from his people. Putting God first and living holy lives is impossible without regeneration and sanctification. And this sanctification by the Holy Spirit enables his saints to be more and more Different from the sinful world in which they live, I'd actually turn to Psalm one. Psalm one. It's tempting for godly church members to walk, and to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It's tempting for godly church members to stand in the way of sinners. It's tempting for godly church members to sit in the seat of the scornful. And these temptations can be very tempting for the Christian, perhaps especially for those who live and work in academic settings. In verse 1, we read of Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. We see that there are three things mentioned in Psalm 1-1 that describe the Christian. He does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of the scornful. There are sheep and goats within the covenant setting of this psalm both then and today as well. We need to be a godly influence upon both the godly and the ungodly that we meet in churches. Whether we are in the church or outside of the church, we need to be the ones we need to be the ones influencing people. And influencing people in the ways of Christ, while at the same time not being influenced to live in an ungodly manner. Not only is the godly person who has been changed by the Holy Spirit careful concerning how and with whom he spends his time outside of the church, he is also careful concerning how he spends his time inside of the church. We must always strive to be the ones who are good, godly influences on others, whether others are being good, godly influences on us or not. And as we strive to be godly examples to our brothers and sisters in the church, we must be also careful that we do not pick up on the bad habits of others we must be very careful how and with whom we spend our time outside of the church and if we are parents our children's time as well scripture makes it very clear that we can become like the people with whom we spend our time now this is not to say that we dig a trench or build a fort around ourselves and just throw away the the imperative that we are to announce the gospel to our communities. What I am saying is that we need to have godly wisdom and follow through with that godly wisdom. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. The godly man, the godly person, takes great delight in the law of the Lord. It gives him great joy, which sounds like the Beatitudes. The godly person does not spend time thinking and mulling, just trying to come up with ways in which he can find technicalities on how he can disobey the law of God. He does not do that. Actually, he strives to do the opposite. No, he loves the law of God and wants to do whatever he is able to do to obey this lovely law that he loves so much. When someone points out that he is missing the mark, he does not automatically call that person a legalist, but instead examines his life to see whether he is missing the mark. And if he is sinning, he repents. One of the ways that the godly man shows that he loves the law of God is that he meditates on it on a regular basis. Day and night, does not mean once in the morning and once at night. The godly man meditates regularly on the law of God. And he does so because he loves the law of God so much. Verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Unlike the ungodly man, the godly man's life is built on a strong foundation. He is like a living, thriving tree, in that he has all that he needs in God. He is planted in the right place by his God who gives him all that he needs to thrive. His life is a fruitful life and a spiritually prosperous life. This man is truly blessed. He is truly happy, and this happiness is not due It's not just due to outer circumstances. How am I doing today? How are my finances? How's my health? He is truly happy, and this happiness is not just due to his outward circumstances. For joy is part and parcel of his life. Verse 4. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. The ungodly are not so. They are, like the ch- they are like chaff, not like wheat. They're like chaff. The wheat sustains life and is worth a lot, has great value. The chaff, on the other hand, is relatively speaking a waste product of the wheat, of the wheat harvest. It is light and it blows away. What a contrast to the firmly entrenched and well-watered tree. Verse 5. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Eternally speaking, it does not matter whether the ungodly are members of a church or not if they don't repent. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't matter if you're a, church, a member of a church or not. But, being a member of the church does not mean that you are a Christian. Christians repent. So, eternally speaking, it does not matter whether the ungodly are members of a church or not, if they do not repent. They will not survive the judgment, and they will not be going to heaven. The scriptures are filled, filled with examples of God's covenant people, who were headed for hell if they did not repent. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Scribes, Judas Iscariot, ungodly kings of Israel, Esau, and the list goes on and on and on. These are covenant members. These are members of God's church, but they did not repent. Godliness is not something that one can sign up for on the internet like you can if you want to become a be able to do a wedding godliness involves a supernatural work of the holy spirit and like we see in psalm 32 and psalm 51 one of the signs that a godly person truly is a godly person is that the godly person is truly sorry about his sins and truly repents and was which was mentioned earlier this morning about David asking that the joy of his salvation be restored. That was only after he repented of his sins with Bathsheba and also murdering Bathsheba's husband. Verse 6, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So many times, and we see this in the book of Psalms, the way of the ungodly seems very successful. Seems to work out. They seem to get away with so much. They can gossip, they can lie, they can steal, they can lust to their heart's content. And they seem to get away with all of it and still thrive. But in the long run, it all leads to one judgment and one eternal destiny. All that success leads to chaff, leads to nothing, leads to hell. All that success leads to judgment. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the way of the godly and he knows them intimately. Being a son or daughter of God is not easy. Not even close to being easy. And sometimes it seems like it's easier not to be a son or a daughter of God. It's kind of like your mom or dad when you were young. And they saw you and your friends doing something that was really bad. And who did your parents primarily yell at? Who did they, whose case did they get on primarily? Your friends? Who received the punishment from your parents? You did. Why? Why? Because your parents loved and cared for you. didn't mean they didn't care about the neighbor kids. But specifically, they loved and cared for you. God loves and cares for his godly ones. And he brings them through tough times. On purpose. For their own good. If you are one of Christ's special ones who is truly living for him... Just remember that you are that special, well-watered tree. That's you. You will not perish. You will survive and you will thrive and will thrive eternally. You have every reason to be full of joy. Now let's turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, again, in verse 1. The blessedness described in the Beatitudes involved, in, it involves an inner happiness that we see in Psalm 1 that is not based on circumstances. This happiness is an objective happiness, not a subjective happiness the beatitudes are a description of the christian life for all christians as christians become more and more like jesus they come closer and closer to what we see in the beatitudes as christians become more and more like jesus they come closer to what we see in psalm 1 and while it may seem obvious to you these Beatitudes are for today. Just as Psalm 1 is for today. It's for us today. Now there's been a very popular teaching out there, and this teaching has been in Bible-believing churches, that the Beatitudes are not really for today. And the teaching goes something like this. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom... But we're not in that kingdom. So therefore, the Beatitudes aren't for today. They're for the kingdom. Well, I have some news. They are right in one sense. The Beatitudes are certainly kingdom teachings. But I have some other news. Whether you happen to be pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial, or pan-millennial, meaning that it will all pan out in the end, no matter what your view of the end times is? In one way or another, we are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and the beatitudes, every one of them, are for today. The beatitudes are built on the foundation of the Word of God that the people of God had at the time when Jesus is teaching, and that was the Old Testament. With the coming of Jesus and the kingdom, the Old Testament teachings that are the foundation of the Beatitudes take on a new and fuller meaning. By new, I do not mean brand new, just came out of nowhere. But like we are to sing unto the Lord a new song, and the meaning of that concerns singing a song that's been sung time and time and time again, an old song, but with fresh, new perspective as we grow as Christians, foundational Old Testament truths become new time and time again in Jesus. The truths did not change, but the perspective of God's people has changed as the freshness of Jesus Christ throws new light on these everlasting truths. Many people look at the teachings of Jesus and the Beatitudes as being teachings that stand in stark contrast to the teachings of the Old Testament, but this is definitely not the case. The exciting truth is that nothing that Jesus teaches contradicts the Old Testament in any way, shape, or form. The Beatitudes do not contradict the Ten Commandments. As Jesus proclaims his kingdom and introduces the New Covenant, the Ten Commandments are foundational to the kingdom and the gospel that is being proclaimed. The Bible, both Old and New Testament, in its completeness gives us the good news of the kingdom in its completeness. What the teachings of the Beatitudes, uh, what the teachings and the beatitudes do stand in stark contrast to is the way that the world that we see in Psalm 1 looks at things. The Beatitudes describe Christians who are inwardly happy. In verse 3, recognition of your spiritual poverty without Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4, mourning over your sins. Blessed are they that mourn. Verse 5, keeping your strength under control. And often that means no matter how right you are, not losing your temper. Losing your temper is a bit of a misnomer. You want to have a temper. You don't want to lose it. A temper is a good thing, it is something that tempers, it is something that holds back. We talk about temperance when it comes to drinking, not drinking beyond what you should be drinking. You are not to be losing what is good. What is good? It's your temper. Don't lose it. Keep your strength under control. Verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Verse 8. Having a pure heart. Nine, blessed are the peacemakers. People who have peace with God will desire that others will have peace with God as well. So we are called on to be peacemakers. And finally, the one that stands out in contrast, apparently, if you first, just as you first look at it, persecuted for righteousness sake a sign of a christian is that they are persecuted for righteousness sake now if you're a christian and you get persecuted someday because you're just being a jerk that's not what this is talking about this isn't talking about getting mis- uh, getting treated badly because you're acting in an arrogant way no, notice it says persecuted, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. People who are treated like garbage for living out the beatitudes that were just mentioned. General rule is if you live out these beatitudes, if that's the way you're living is through the work of the Holy Spirit, the last thing's going to happen to you. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, the world might call people like we see in the Beatitudes, they might call them losers. The Bible calls them winners. The world may call them wimps. The Bible calls them strong in Jesus. The world might describe these people as being no fun at all. And obviously not happy. That's what people... If you ever take a uh, history class, you can learn that the Puritans, oh, they, they, they it's like their religion was, the big thing in their religion is have no fun. The world might describe the people in the Beatitudes, if you're a Christian, they might describe you as no fun at all, obviously not happy. Well, the Bible makes it very clear that these regenerate people are the only people on the entire earth who are truly happy. The only people on the entire earth who are truly happy. So we look at verse 3. On the cross, Jesus was treated by his heavenly father as a person who was spiritually dead And without hope. I'll repeat that. On the cross, Jesus was treated by his heavenly Father as a person who was spiritually dead and without hope. Verse 4, on the cross, Jesus mourns due to the sins of the elect. On the cross, verse 5, Jesus kept his strength under control when he could have gotten off that cross and made the temple cleansing look like a tea party. Verse 6, on the cross, Jesus successfully remained righteous as he desired to die so that the elect would have his righteousness imputed to them and have their lives become more and more like him. Jesus had a hunger and thirst to please his heavenly father. Even while going through his own private capital H hell for the sake of his elect and the glory of his heavenly father Jesus strongly desired his heavenly father he strongly desired to glorify his heavenly father and enjoy him forever verse seven on the cross Jesus showed mercy for dying, by dying for his people, who richly deserved spiritual death, and even showing concern for people who were persecuting him at the time, even to the point of death. Verse 8. On the cross, Jesus retained a pure heart even when his heavenly Father treated him like he was guilty of all of the sins of the elect. He was totally estranged from his heavenly Father, with whom he had always had a perfect fellowship. And yet, his 100% pure heart remained 100% pure throughout everything that he went through. Verse 9, on the cross, Jesus enabled his elect to have peace with God, both while on this earth and for eternity. On the cross, Jesus became the enemy of God so that the elect would have peace with God. Verse 10, on the cross, Jesus was persecuted by his enemies, even to the point of death, due to to his righteous life and teachings. But that was relatively nothing compared to the way that he was treated by his heavenly father on the cross due to the sins of his elect. So the next time you think you're having a bad day, if you are a Christian, rejoice and be exceedingly Jesus did not stay on that cross. Jesus did not stay in that grave. And Jesus did not bodily remain on this earth. Jesus is in heaven right now, interceding for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we realize that what is And said, as far as your son's interceding is for Christians, but we pray that if there be anyone here who is not a Christian, that your Holy Spirit would change that person to become something new, someone new. And looking back on their life, they will recognize That they were never really joyful that their joy that they did have or their their love for having fun that they did have was based on chaff it was based on nothing it was based on how things were going along in their lives externally but then when they compare that to their own life and they see, it is what, see what we see in Psalm 1. And that is the way that if we're Christians, we should look at ourselves. We should look at ourselves as, this is what I was. This is what I would be. If not for the grace of God. If not for what Jesus has done for me. If not for the regeneration and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We pray as we go on our way that we will live for you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen.